Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Stuart Beatty. He's the Director of Strategy and Practice Transformation for the Ohio State Ohio Pharmacists Association, Associate Professor of Clinical Pharmacy at The Ohio State University, Founder of Strategic Pharmacy Initiatives, and a graduate from Ohio Northern University, so go Polar Bears. Welcome, Dr. Beatty. Hey, Eric. Good to be with you. Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast today. You're, uh, you're kind of one of those people behind the scenes that everyone talks about when it comes to billing, so I'm glad to have you on here, but not just billing as far as pharmacy, but billing as far as provider status goes. So how did you get to where you are with your practice of pharmacy? Yeah, I have a kind of an interesting story and one of those stories that takes different paths to get here. So my my day job still is I'm a faculty member at Ohio State at the College of Pharmacy, and I've been doing that for a number of years. And when I first started Ohio State, I had to find a practice site. So I started a practice site with a physician that I knew, and he happened to practice in the residence clinic. And I was like, hey, you could probably use a pharmacist over there, couldn't you? And he said, yes, we absolutely could. So I was the first pharmacist to practice at the general internal medicine clinics at Ohio State and and really got started helping to educate medical residents. And then that's kind of transitioned from there. I took on pharmacy residents and trained a number of pharmacy residents. And by default, since I was the oldest one, was kind of the lead pharmacist as that has grown. So it got to the point where, um, especially with some value-based contracts, I was in um, some, some interesting meetings and looking at this money that was coming into primary care. And because of what we had done there, they invested very heavily in, in pharmacy. So we now have, across that team, we have one pharmacist in each one of the seven clinics around Columbus. And that background of kind of learning about value-based care, value-based contracts, what's happening in primary care, then led to some interesting involvement with OPA, uh, Ohio Pharmacists Association, as uh, OPA was really working and kind of blowing up and, and highlighting what was going on with PBMs and the atrocities there, which that's obviously you've had several podcasts on that, so we, we won't get into that today. <laughs> yeah. uh, but as that was happening, there started, they started to get some questions about like, okay, so you guys want to blow this whole thing up, what do you want to do next? And, and that's kind of where I came in. I had some experience with value-based care, had some experience in uh, pharmacists working right alongside physicians. So as a result, the last couple of years, OPA has actually leased a portion of my time from Ohio State. So I'm still at Ohio State. I still practice in the clinic, but I'm also leading these provider status efforts across the state of Ohio. So I really kind of got at least three jobs in, in one, which is pretty fun most of the time. But it's kind of a unique background that, that's led to all of that because it's really that experience I had of working in the clinic and still bringing those stories from clinic to lead these provider status efforts across the state. Yeah, and I even heard you uh, talk to people who work in retail, and you can really connect those dots well, which is something we're going to dive into here a little bit. And that's really a different story than obviously most people who are promoting things like this, but something that's pretty cool and unique to your situation. Uh, I wanted you on here, obviously, because you've kind of helped pave the road for provider status and payment with it. If this wasn't obvious by your credentials, with all the involvements you have, as we just discussed, your specialty is really how we get paid. Can you explain briefly what pharmacists are going to be paid for? Because I think there's some confusion with some of that aspect. Yeah, so so what we've been trying to do as much as possible is we're making it so that the pharmacist can get paid for the services that you're providing. So we've been talking, whenever I talk to payers, whenever I talk to the Department of Medicaid, all the conversations I've had for them, I've been telling them, like, look, pharmacists are not trying to replace anybody. 
We are trying to be part of the team. And if you look at the current model and you look at the current reimbursement structure that's taking place in healthcare, pharmacists are not incentivized to be part of the team. The incentives are not there to include a pharmacist in there because we don't have any payment. So what we're trying to do is make it so that pharmacists are looked at just like any other provider on that team, and we can get paid the same way that they can to take care of, uh, and, and I, I struggle a little bit even with where the rules are. I'm sure we'll get into this as far as like, oh, well, then we're going to take care of diabetes patients and, oh, we're going to take care of hypertension patients. And no, what, what we want pharmacists to get paid for is to take care of patients. Because when you go to a physician, you don't think like, oh, this physician only does diabetes. Now, sometimes there's endocrinology and stuff like that I get, but you're like, I want this physician to take care of me. So I want patients to get to the point where like, I want this pharmacist to take care of me regardless of what the disease states are, regardless of what the medications are, I want to have a pathway so that a pharmacist can get reimbursed for providing the care that we've been trained to provide. And you know what's interesting about that? Uh, so I'm actually sitting for a few different credentialing licenses uh, coming up here, certifications. But one of them I'm working on is HIV, since I work in a high HIV area and have worked at two sure. different HIV specialty stores now. And what's funny is every time you start getting into the drugs, every time, even for the specialists, obviously they know HIV drugs. It always goes, you should refer to a specially trained or clinical pharmacist to help optimize therapy for this patient. And it doesn't just talk about HIV meds. It's talking about, hey, your HIV meds also have these problems, these problems, these problems, these problems. Absolutely. And a lot of it might be too much for any one practitioner. So if we can get basically one person to focus on the meds, the side effects, the interactions that is specifically in a practice or tied to a practice, it even says that. Like the guidelines for HIV are basically calling for provider status for HIV, at least for pharmacists. Yes. And the guidelines are like that for everything. The diabetes guidelines are very clear that it should be, it has to be a team approach. And there's, I mean, hundreds of studies on that. It has to be a team approach and that team approach should include pharmacists. Um, some of the best hypertension studies are, are including pharmacists. So it's, it's out there everywhere. I mean, all these organizations are coming out saying it has to be team-based care. So there's not a shortage of places that are saying this is the way that it needs to be done. There's just not an incentive structure in place to actually make it happen. Yeah, there's also two things kind of there is one, we have a known shortage of physicians in any given specialty in family care, whatever it yep. is. And we currently currently have a glut of pharmacists, even with COVID, we're still seeing we still have a glut of them. Why not put them in there and use their skills and knowledge to help bring down costs to drive behaviors and things like that, which I think is reflective that you're working with basically Ohio's Department of Medicaid. And this isn't a plan that's just going to want to spend money recklessly, right? Like we're in a, we're in a conservative state. <laughs> no, that's, that is for sure. Yeah. We're in a conservative state. And even our, our governor has started this ad campaign about being a fiscally responsible state. Well, they're not going to yeah. make a decision on something that doesn't make fiscal sense to some extent. You know, if you pay an extra dollar and you get $30 in benefits, like why would you not do that? And something like this, is that kind of the main thing you're seeing with them is they see a huge rate of return on this? So when we've had our conversations with Medicaid, they, they really are, I have to give them credit because they've had so much going on in the midst of COVID. They really have done a lot at the Ohio Department of Medicaid over the last couple of years to transform the way that, that care is delivered. And that's, that's obviously really hard to do, especially in the midst of a pandemic. But I do have to give them credit for kind of opening their eyes and, and thinking about things differently. With that being said, you're exactly right. They're sitting there looking at this and they're saying, okay, wait a second. So you guys want pharmacists to get paid for services. Like we've heard about the fact, we've heard you guys say over and over again, they can open up access. They should be part of the team. Like we get it. Like we get it from a clinical side and we're not against paying them. But then, I mean, honestly, some of the conversations were, 
getting them to realize or their hesitation to open this up to say they don't want a pharmacist on every corner, every Walgreens, Walmart, Rite Aid, CVS, you name it. Like, look at all the pharmacies when you drive through a town and they're sitting there thinking like, oh, my gosh, every single one of those people is going to start billing us right away. We don't have the budget for that. So so what I've told them repeatedly is like, look, to be honest, that's not what I want either. Like, I want pharmacists to get paid, but there has to be value to it. So it shouldn't be that a pharmacist and CVS gets paid and then that and then the patient walks down the street and goes into Walmart and then the Walmart pharmacist pay, gets paid. Like that's not what we're looking for either. We're just looking for pharmacists to be part of that team and we have to be I think fiscally responsible. We have to make sure we're keeping that in mind. But the biggest thing I think we have to do is we have to make sure we're adding value because if this thing gets opened up too quick and all these pharmacists start getting paid right off the bat and there's no value behind it it's going to last about two years they're going to be like well you guys said this we didn't see an outcomes sorry you're done um so we have to make sure we're bringing that value to the table as well as what i think yeah which hits on kind of the next point we talked about was how do exactly pharmacists get paid like is it directly billing to someone's insurance or is it to the pbm portion like we're used to and is this like a simple click and submit thing like many community pharmacists are used to with something kind of like outcomes where you have a discussion you go over something and you just make intervention and you just click it yeah um well it's a little bit of both so at this time for one thing all of the outcomes or the mtm programs are still in place for the department of medicaid and that's part of the pharmacy benefit so that has not left so you can still do the mtm services the comprehensive med review the tips may still come to you and you can still bill for those the same way that those are being billed for. What this is with provider status is instead of coming out of the pharmacy benefit or the pharmacy side of things, all of these things with provider status, that's going to come out of the medical side of things or the medical benefit. So we are essentially being treated the same, as I mentioned, as physicians, as nurse practitioners, as physicians assistants. We'll be able to bill, and there's not a limitation to say that you can only bill one time per year or whatever it says for MTM or only when a tip gets thrown your way. If you meet the rules, and we can kind of get into those a little bit, if you're meeting the rules with that patient, then you can bill that patient these certain codes, and that will get billed on the medical side of things. As far as the way to bill, essentially, you have to have a structure in place, or you have to have a way to bill on the medical medical side, and that is something that's a, a little bit new for, for pharmacy, especially community pharmacy. Uh, most pharmacists that are in health systems or in FQHCs, they've got that system in place because, again, all of their other providers have been billing that way. So you can do some things on the IT world to make that happen. Mm-hmm. In the community space, most of those dispensing softwares, they may be aligned. There may be a separate portal for MTM. But what we need to work towards, and we've been trying to work with some different vendors, and I know there's different vendors trying to do this out there, is trying to get different vendors to come in and allow billing to take place on the medical side in the community pharmacy at this point, you can enter the, you can sign up and you can enter the portals of those payers. And those payers are, I, I think it's important to point out, we have the Department of Medicaid, so anybody that has straight up Medicaid in Ohio. But we also have every Medicaid uh, managed care organization in the state. Now, granted, those are changing in 2022, but as of right now, all of them are open for any pharmacist to enter to enroll in. So you can enroll in once you're enrolled. You can start to bill those patients once they meet the rules and you bill on the medical side and you'll get reimbursed for it. So I, there's a lot that's going on there. I'm, I'm not sure, Eric, I'll let you ask the next question if we need to kind of go into detail of what that means. No, yeah. Uh, but that's essentially the structure that's in place. Yeah, feel free at any point to just start elaborating details. And I think the next part we're getting to is going to be a great time for that. So I, this is a multi-pronged question going, again, as many details as you can for the listeners. 
what is it exactly that payers are looking to compensate us for? Is it something kind of like MTM where we have a discussion that kind of meets the criteria or we get a medication added or taken off and then we get paid? Or is this like yeah. something totally different where there is an expected result that we know if we talk to 10 diabetic patients, we're going to improve adherence among that group by 15% and that's going to reduce overall mortality and spending? This is a great question. And I feel like I get asked this question from both sides of this. So I feel like I, it's, it's, there's a, there's a long answer to it, Eric. So, so guide me a little bit here as I, as no, you're talking. good. but when you talk about what are we getting paid for again, at the most general sense, we are getting paid for providing services to patients. And that's what I'm trying to tell the payers, like, stop trying to think about this as like, we're paying for this service or we're paying for that service. What you're paying for is our knowledge of medications and caring for patients. So what you said earlier is exactly right. I want to make sure I'm optimizing the medication. So a lot of the conversations with payers involving pharmacy, they automatically start out with, what can you do with adherence rates? What can you do with this? And I, I get it, and that makes sense because that's what they've had their star ratings on. That's what they've had other things on. Well, I've told them pretty clearly, we need to stop thinking about pharmacists and adherence rates. Because as a pharmacist, you can have various programs in place and you can pay a pharmacist for adherence rates and they can set them up for automatic refills and they can make sure that somebody has medications and your adherence rates can go up and that's great but wouldn't you rather pay the pharmacist to actually optimize those medications like wouldn't you rather make sure that it's like you know what based on your kidney function this isn't the best medication for you so i'm going to switch you to this one or i'm going to switch the dose or this medication actually isn't even recommended for you so i'm going to stop it or in the case of a statin, maybe this one is recommended, so I'm putting it on. Don't you want to pay pharmacists to optimize and then make sure that they're adherent to an optimized medication regimen? So usually when I say that, the plans are kind of like, oh, I guess, yeah, you're right. That is what we want to do. It's not just adherence. So I feel like pharmacists need to hear that too. And when it looks to certain metrics, again, I feel like there's these pharmacy-specific metrics that have been out there that typically rely on things like adherence. I'm trying to tell these payers, like, line us up with the same incentives and the same metrics that you're lining these other providers up with. So if you've got, again, I, I work in, in a clinic, so I've, I've seen this firsthand and I've seen what these metrics are doing to primary care and they're really driving the way we provide care. So one of the, uh, so let's just take diabetes as an example, since more than half the country has it now or whatever it is. So <laughs> with diabetes, there's now metrics in place when you look at the primary care side of things. It says they get measured on a quarterly basis for how many of their patient panel has an A1C above 9%. So basically, what is your percentage of uncontrolled patients? And they track that over time. And if you meet a certain threshold, you may get a bonus payment or you may get a pay for performance payment because you're doing a better job of controlling patients with uncontrolled diabetes. You're getting more patients under control. So if I'm a pharmacist, why do you not want me as a pharmacist to say, hey, I want you to engage with those patients that are out of control. I want you to self-care for those patients that have an A1C above 9% and help get them to a better threshold, help get them to a better metric. Wouldn't you rather do that than go through and say, what's the adherence rate for your diabetes patients? Do you see what I mean? You see how I'm sure we're trying yeah. to align that as much as we can to be part of the same metric? Yeah, and a lot of that goes with kind of just patient engagement, right? So if we can get somebody in there to help optimize it to them, a little more personal attention, 
with a field like ours that's so specialized with just the medications, yeah, the endocrinologist, they have other people they have to see. They get booked up. We all know right. how stressful that is. But if we can spend that extra few minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five, an hour, whatever it is, right? I'm not the billing code expert like you yeah. are. Then you're going to help drive that patient to be engaged. And that's going to do a lot more with their therapy than you know, automatic refills. Like Mail orders can hit PDC all day because they automatically ship them. doesn't mean the person's taking that's the medication right. right. So having someone that really right. ties in there to those counseling points, Shows a little bit of empathy, understands the person. It's one, it's rewarding for the pharmacist to do that, but two, it's also super rewarding for the patient because you know if we get their diabetes under control, we might add five, ten years of quality to their life. Or if they're That's in the exactly workforce, right. productivity, get them back on the job, that sort of thing. Or if you're the health plan, we have them healthy enough that we're keeping them out of the hospital, which is where the big expense comes as well. We're keeping them out of the emergency department. We're keeping them out of the hospital because overall they're healthier. So yeah, you're exactly right. So that that's the that's the conversation we're trying to have. And and when it comes to something like diabetes, and I've seen this from the clinic I'm in, essentially our pharmacy group takes over a lot of the care through our collaborative practice, and and, and we care for our patients with diabetes. And our physicians, the ones that use us a lot and and are used to this, they're like, man, this is great because you guys take over the care. I've heard them say multiple times, you guys provide better care than I do because you have time to do it. And because um, you understand the meds better. And that just freed me up to see acute visits and see hospital follow-ups or see like minor procedures that we do. It actually frees up time for them uh, to be able to provide care in a different way. And and you talked about, like, I work in a clinic, so sometimes I get to like, oh, you work in a clinic, you don't understand community pharmacy. <laughs> well, I don't understand maybe community pharmacy as well as a lot of other people, but I did used to work in community pharmacy. And even though it's been a while, I still take those lessons with me. And I can't tell you the number of times that working in the clinic that our pharmacy group calls the community pharmacist because there is key information that that community pharmacy has that we don't have access to with the doctor. So I really think that there's a huge role for this in community pharmacy to do exactly what you said and be those touch points in between visits. There's so much of this diabetes care, hypertension, smoking cessation, even like HIV, like all these things you're talking about, behavioral health, they're all longitudinal diseases and they all need touch points with these patients to reinforce motivational interviewing and and all of these things. So why is it that a pharmacist can't do that while we're also kind of tweaking the medications and making sure that we're monitoring for side effects and everything else? Yeah. And you hit on one thing there that's kind of like kind of stuck with me was when it comes to things like smoking cessation and getting people engaged, it's basically nudge theory. And I'm not sure how much the listeners are engaged with that. I know there's a Freakonomics episode, which is one of those kind of a OG podcast that's been around forever. And they do a lot of these yeah. type of things. But nudge theory is proven to work in so many factors, whether it's savings, whether it's things like the flu shot, whatever it is, especially in healthcare, when you start nudging those people a little bit for something like smoking cessation, we've seen where that work. Having, having, that, conversation <laughs> one, having that conversation once a year really isn't proven to work. But just repeating it a few times and being perspective about it really, really helps get people to do things like quit smoking or start taking their medications right with diabetes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And pharmacists are well-trained. I know that that's happening in the, in the, in the schools right now. Pharmacists are well-trained for how to do motivational interviewing and how to talk to patients. And the thing that I think we undersell all the time as a profession is we know more about the medications than any other professional out there. So again, I work with physicians. I watch medical residents come through every single year. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's not that they don't know anything about them, uh, but we know so much more about those medications and how they can interact and how what to monitor and what that's actually going to do for the patient than most of the physicians that are out there. 
It's just we've never had the incentive structure in our healthcare system to really take that on and, and own it and be like, hey, this is what we're going to do for your patient today. Yeah, and kind of one example of that, and this is, I'm going to talk about a personal story here. I was actually, did a rotation at Cleveland Clinic in their oncology floor. And, you know, I, for, as an intern, you kind of feel stupid sometimes because you go around and they're talking all these high level terms, these patients who are, you know, stage whatever, leukemia. And you're just sitting there sometimes just trying to absorb it. Like you're an intern, that's what you're supposed to do. But I'll never forget, I was sitting there one time or standing there on the rounds. And the attending said something and I corrected them and everybody in the huddle looked at me and I'm like, what? It's right. <laughs> and like even the pharmacist looked at me. It really wasn't an oncology thing. It was something else. I'm like, what? It's yeah. right. And then he, he looks at me. He goes like my uh, pharmacist I was with goes, you know who that is, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I know his name. He's like, he literally helped write the book on this disease. And then the attending <laughs> looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. And I was like, yes, score one for the intern. But it was one of those things That's where, right. you know, the medication expert kind of came through and it was maybe me more of a, I knew I was going community, jack of all trades happened to remember that, whereas the oncology team didn't. But that just shows when yeah. sometimes you get hyper-focused, it's not always the right answer. You need someone to kind of balance a little bit of all of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I really see, you know, that that's something I could envision moving forward in pharmacy. We're already kind of there. We just, again, don't have any payment to go with it. But so I work in primary care. So I'm the true generalist, just like a primary care physician. I can tell you a little bit about a lot of drugs. Yeah, same here. Um, but when it comes to something like like you're talking about HIV, like if you're going to ask me about HIV medications, like you don't want to do that. So what I'm <laughs> going to do is I'm going to be like, ooh, if you want the details on HIV medications, I need you to talk to this pharmacist that works in HIV every single day uh, because that's what they do day in and day out. And they know a lot about those drugs just like the same thing with oncology. There's all these new MABs and all this stuff, which is fantastic, and it needs to be done, and pharmacists need to have a part there. But it doesn't mean that these payment for services, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I, as like somebody that works in primary care, need to start monitoring and managing somebody's uh, melanoma therapy. Like, that doesn't make sense. What needs to happen is I need to have a network in place where I can be like, hey, I don't know about this particular medication, but I have a pharmacist that works in oncology that does. And then that pharmacist that works in oncology may be like, oh, I know about this melanoma medication, but like, how is this interfering with whatever's going on with their thyroid and with their antidepressants? I need you to go back to this primary care physician. And it just needs to be this team-based approach like everything else is, is what I think. Yeah, and I think that that's huge too because if you start – paying pharmacists for some of these interactions, you're going to free up the physicians so that they can take care of more people, whether it's diagnosing, whether it's right. know, the various surgeries of certain sorts, so they're not having to see more as many people in the clinics and answer so many calls for, you know, stupid refills, other things like that, whatever you can think of, right? Yeah. All these little things that just about every five minutes eat up your time every day, all day. Just that's one more thing that they can be more focused on, specialized in and really do what they're supposed to do as physicians. So that's kind of the way I see providers right. projecting onto them. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Eric. I, I think that's where it's going to go. And again, um, I feel like a broken record here, but as, I, as I've said to the payers, and I think it's important for the profession to understand that we just want to be part of the team. We've never had a, a structure in place. We've never had the incentive to be part of the team before. We've become a big part of the team in various pockets just because of our knowledge and because of how good we are. But it really hasn't been because of the incentive structure that's there. So, so all we're trying to do is create the incentive structure get it out there so that we can become a part of this team and, and take care of patients. Yeah. I almost look at us like Rudy from that, from that movie, right? Like put us in coach, we can make the play. And then we do it. And everyone's That's like, right. Oh yeah. That's so, right. <laughs> all right. So a little bit of a vision time here. Where do you see this heading? Is this a goal of like, what is the goal of like the payment models and kind of like, what are you working with? 
Yeah, that's also a, a really good question, too. This is something I feel like as pharmacists, just by our training and, and by our personality types, this is sometimes really hard for us because where we see this heading is is really cloudy. And if, if I'm completely honest, I don't know that I fully know. And, and the reason for that is because we're trying to do this in the midst of the entire healthcare system, reforming the way that they do payment and the way that they incentivize care. So we're kind of coming into this right now when it comes to the codes that we can bill for and the way that we're being paid in the old way, which is really what's been done for the last 30, 40 years. And, and I think that's really important to get in and do it that way. Uh, but we're doing that in the midst of everything kind of shifting to more of this like value-based care, whether that's per member per month, whether that's bonus payments, whether that's pay for performance, there's lots of different things going into that. And we're trying to throw ourselves right into the middle of it. Now, in some ways, I think that's actually creating opportunity for us. And I think it's really, really important to do that because I think if we sit back and wait, everybody else is going to have this figured out. And then we're going to be sitting out there again and being like, hey, but we want to we want to join. So I think it's yeah. important for us to kind of throw ourselves in there right now. But it does make the future look a little bit cloudy because I don't know what reimbursement or payments going to look like for any of healthcare. So if you really pin me down, I think it's going to be a little bit of a mixture of the old way of doing it, where you're provide provided reimbursement for to some extent volume, uh, but there's a big value component that comes over top of that. And I don't know if that's going to be different codes. I don't know if that's again per member per month. If that's going to be pay for performance, that's the part that I'm not exactly sure. Okay, yeah, and I, I kind of the way you're talking about it here makes me think it's almost kind of like we have to have one foot in each canoe to kind of balance this act to kind of yep. get it to where it needs to be, which is always one of those kind of tough things, but it can be done, obviously. And I think that you hit the point there that we have to really make sure we are doing what fits the current model, but then we have to be adaptive for the new model. But as you're building the new model, just build us right in there, kind of. Is that what you're saying? That's right. That's that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And and I think as a pharmacist, you know, this is all new and it's it's exciting. And it is exciting, but I would say as as like what we need pharmacists to do right now is we need pharmacists to get their ID numbers in Ohio. We need them to get their Medicaid ID numbers. We need to, them to enroll with these plans and we need them to start providing the services. So at this point, provide the services you know how to provide, bill the way that the billing is set up. Um, we will continue to try to work and evolve that and we will do anything we can to help provide training and, and where's the payment coming from and how's the payment evolving. But I don't think that every pharmacist needs to know every single thing about that. What we need is we need a bunch of people out there providing care and using these codes and helping us to show the outcomes and the value to be like, oh, wow, it really does make sense to include these pharmacists. So we can start to make sure we're added to the new codes and we can make sure we can loosen up the rules and we can continue to, to push this whole thing out. But if everybody's kind of sitting and I'm not suggesting this is exactly what's happening, but but if everybody continues to be in like a wait and see approach, you're like, well, yeah, but I need the checklist of like what I need to do and like what am I supposed to do in, in three months and where's it going to go like that? That's not that's not the way that this needs to roll out. We need pharmacists to get out there, get the ID, enroll with plans, start taking care of patients, start building the plans and start showing the value that we all believe as a profession we can provide and we believe for a number of years. Yeah, and for listeners, uh, Ohio Farms Association has put some amazing stuff on this. So I know we're talking a little Ohio-specific here, but I'm going to try and include some links in the show notes that people can click and kind of go through and see how that process works so that when they start talking at their state or if they have providers to ask in their state, we're going to really try and make sure that they can use similar paths to kind of get there from since Ohio has kind of been leading yeah. on this. Well, and Eric, I've, I've had conversations since Ohio has – 
kind of taken um, at least one of the leaders in this because of the past couple of years. Like I've had calls with other states and other state associations. I've had calls with payers that have, are asking like, hey, I see what you guys are doing in Ohio. How can we do this in our state with our current structure? So I think that there's opportunities to move this. We're trying to talk to even some of the plans that are doing this in Ohio and saying, hey, do you guys want to start a pilot in another state? So so I can assure you that in Ohio, we are looking at what to do in Ohio, but we are really trying to make sure that this gets spread to the other states as quickly as possible, but making sure that, again, it, it, that value gets provided. Yeah, and I know Idaho's got a pretty clear path to this with some of the things that they've done to clear up pharmacist practice, too. So just to be fair to other states out there. Yeah. All right, so before we wrap up, there's two questions I ask everyone. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to stop you from saying provider status just because we've hit on that a lot. So I want to try to change your mindset a little bit because I think we all know you support that when it comes to that. If there was one thing you could change in pharmacy that isn't a law, what would it be? One thing I could change in pharmacy that is not a law, what would it be? I, I think it would just be, but I think it's just making sure that the pharmacist mentality uh, gets tweaked to be like, you know what, I can do this and I do have knowledge. And there's something that I can do for this patient and I'm just going to do it. Kind of that like go do it mentality. I feel like we've lost a little bit of that in pharmacy because we've been yelled at by doctors and because we got to hold ourselves up to have these certain metrics of how many pills do I push out per day and stuff like that. I, I really think I would try to change that mentality of the pharmacist to be like, I know something and I know something that's going to help this patient out and I'm going to act on it. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I've, I've seen so many pharmacists who cave because they've been bludgeoned so many times even if they don't think it's the right thing to do instead of staying their ground that that's something i wholeheartedly support so that's a that's a good one it's more of a mentality than anything else yeah all right if there's one law in pharmacy you could change federal or state what would it be and why then you're still taking me out of being able to answer provider status (laughs) yes yes you can you can do like a small (laughs) derivation of it but not the full provider status we're we're already talking about that one uh fair enough um i mean I, i think coming out of of I'm not sure exactly what the law would be, but I think coming out of COVID and, and seeing how important pharmacists um, have been, um, I think making like some federal, some of those federal mandates um, long-term as far as allowing pharmacists to do immunizations all the way down to childhood, we're going to have such a backlog of, of children and others that haven't done other vaccines, let alone COVID. And we're such an access point for something like that. I, I think opening that up would be something to have that be more universal and not dependent on the states would be really important. Um, and then one of the things we're trying to work on is is how do we tie in some wellness services to the immunization so it's not just the immunization. So I think that could kind of build off of that. But just to have a level playing field across the country uh, for, to build off of, I think would be really good in the immunization space and very needed coming out of COVID. Yeah, and I think that you know, we're talking about vaccine hesitancy. And as I mentioned earlier, nudge theory, that's one of those things of, you know, maybe if everyone kind of keeps mentioning this and all of a sudden someone realizes like, yeah, I do need an MMR vaccine for my child. That's something that would really help kind of close that, that loophole, if you will. Because before COVID, we did see major outbreaks in measles across the U.S. So just another call right right there. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, if we don't fix something like that, it's, it's going to be another disease. Hopefully it's not as bad as COVID is, but you know, we keep having these diseases pop up. so. So I think it's a really important thing. Yeah, that's a that's a great call. I'm totally on board with as well. Uh, all right, so Stu, where can people find you if they want to reach out or they have more questions about their state or provider status stuff? Yeah, so you can I can be reached at through Ohio Pharmacists Association. My email is sbaity at ohiopharmacists. That's plural dot org. Um, I do also have um, a consulting company, so that is strategicpharmacyinitiatives.com. 
Um, so people could look up, look things up there and you could certainly reach out to me there as well. Um, we could talk about things that are going on in your state, or if you wanted to start some things in, in your clinic, um, we're certainly available to talk through that. Yeah. And I'll put that in the show notes for his uh, link for his business. So if you guys want to reach out, because obviously if he starts providing for services at that level, you should be paid for it too. <laughs> <laughs> thanks eric i appreciate that <laughs> yeah all right so as always listeners if you can share this uh leave a five-star review this way we can kind of help promote things like provider status and people can find this and kind of hear what we're talking about and, and so people like physicians aren't scared so they can hear an open and honest discussion of what we're trying to do i think that's huge when it comes to provider status so we're not fighting other medical professionals all trying to take care of the same patients so as always thanks for listening to the political pharmacist podcast your prescription for pharmacy and politics <laughs>